The Fauciites are scrambling once again, this time because New York City has hit an all-time high caseload for COVID, despite over 90% of adults having had at least one shot. Like with everything else, turns out they were wrong. They can't stop the spread. What a shock. Of course, instead of dealing with the facts, they just want more restrictions and mandates. Might be a new year, but it looks like we're facing the same old Fauciite lunacy. Friends, it is time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. It is as predictable as anything else we've seen. Cases skyrocketing, despite all the promises and the assurances from the apparatus, from the Fauciites, that don't worry, we've got this under control. We know what to do, they say. We know how to stop the spread. Really? Not only does New York City have an all-time high caseload right now, the highest of any place in the entire country, the nation, the United States, writ large, more cases of COVID right now than at any point during the pandemic. So they clearly could not stop the spread, not even close. They couldn't even make the spread less this time of year than last year at this time. But have they decided to step back at all? Have they decided to think maybe some of these mandates and policies and different mitigation measures that they put into effect don't really work? No, of course not. They're going to do more of what they've already done. Here's Chicago, for example. In Chicago and most of suburban Cook County, restaurants, bars, gyms, entertainment venues, anywhere else that serves food and drinks is going to require proof of vaccination for anyone five and up. If you're 16 or older, you must also show ID that matches your vaccination card. So they've been doing this in New York since August. Did it stop cases? Did, did it actually work? I mean, it protects individuals from high risk, but do individuals who aren't at high risk need to get this? Because they can still get and spread the virus irrespective of the vaccination. So the stop the spread component of the mandates does not work, right? This is about individual protection, not community protection. That's a pretty darn big change. And it just shows how wrong they've been all along, but they still want to do the things they did before that did not work. We're going through the cycle all over again. They never learn from reality. They don't actually look at the data and what's all in front of our eyes. They just have a playbook, one that no matter how much it fails, they think is still the playbook. Here is Dr. Osterholm, who was a Biden COVID advisor during the uh, Biden regime's run for office, saying that, you know, there's got kids, we want them in school, but maybe we've got to shut some stuff down because of all the virus out there. Nothing we can do about it. Watch. We all agree. Yeah, we all agree that having kids in school is the best situation. Uh, nobody, I think, can dispute that. The question is, can you? And what I mean by that, right now we're seeing school districts all across the United States that are seeing hundreds and hundreds of teachers out sick, bus drivers, support staff. How can you have a school run when you have this viral blizzard shutting down many, many of those in your educational system? So we're going to have to be flexible for the next three to five weeks as we work through this Omicron crisis and realize that we may not be able to open schools, not because we don't want to, we want to, but you can't do it when you don't have people. Hmm. Meanwhile, the teachers' unions are advocating for remote, uh, remote instruction in some major cities like New York and Los Angeles. They don't want to have to go in, of course. So they're going to say, what, if they shut down certain schools, as they've already done in New York, it's because of staffing issues. Seems very convenient that that's the storyline we're being told. 
when they couldn't figure out some way to backfill any of this? Really? We're supposed to believe that? By the way, Dr. Fauci is still out there making the case about cloth masks. Understand this, in recent weeks you've had Dr. Scott Gottlieb, formerly FDA chairman, saying that cloth masks don't work. You've had um, Dr. Lena Wen of CNN go on TV and say, at this stage of the pandemic, as if we're dealing with something entirely different now, cloth masks don't work. But Fauci understands this is the basis of the Fauciite religion. I mean, this is the, the fundamental foundational sacrament of Fauciism is to wear a useless, stupid piece of cloth across your face to show everybody how you take the science seriously. And so even though it's apparent to everyone that the mask mandates don't do a damn thing, and that if you actually look at the realities of a cloth facial covering as a means of stopping aerosolized virus, you quickly see that it's laughable. Fauci can't admit that. So he says, oh yeah, no, cloth masks still work real well. Sure they do. Are cotton and surgical masks effective at preventing the spread of Omicron? Yeah. When the CDC says they are effective, in fact, they are. Oh, because the CDC says so. Okay, show me that data. Where has it been effective? Fouch. Show me the numbers. You should have it at your fingertips. It should be easy to do. What exactly? Oh, that bullcrap study out of Arizona? Is that what they're going to point to? Because it's laughable. No, that doesn't work. That's not going to fly. So, so where is it working so well? Explain that. And why is Dr. Scott Gottlieb and Dr. Lena Wenner finally saying, look, cloth masks don't do anything? What, what do they not know that you do, Fouch? This guy is the absolute worst. Fortunately, there are some in the world of health that are a little bit more honest. We'll get into that in a second. Back to, Scott, back to Dr. Scott Gottlieb for a second. He's saying, maybe we're going to have Omicron ripping through the country for, I don't know, a month, give or take. Watch. You know, look, the first thing I'd say is that, and we've said this before, so I, I, I appreciate there's diminished credibility, but this is not going to last very long. Um, we're going to be in the throes of this wave of infection for maybe a month. Here in the Northeast, I think you're going to see infections peak out within the next two weeks. So hopefully New York City does find a peak within the next two weeks. London, which is about two to three weeks behind New York City, has already peaked and is probably on the way down. So this is a very fast-moving wave of infection. On the back end of this, hopefully we're done with COVID for a while. We'll have enough immunity in the population between vaccination or infections. So we really need to get through this month. Oh, you mean that he's making a prediction here about how we could be in the worst month of it? Kind of like, when was the worst? Oh, January last year. Almost like all the stuff we do and this vaccination to stop the spread and all this is not actually stopping the spread. We are going through the same thing in terms of cases we did last year. In fact, it's worse right now. But fortunately, with a less lethal variant of the virus with Omicron, which would be a good thing, right? This is a good thing that we have a less lethal virus. My friends, we either uh, push back against this now or we continue to suffer through the madness. What they've told us to do does not work in the way that they have promised it will. Florida Surgeon General Joseph Latipo is trying to also unwind the testing psychology that's taken root all over the place, uh, where the federal government's prioritizing just getting the test, 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 as if that's going to stop a wave. Watch. We're going to be working to unwind the sort of testing psychology that our federal leadership has managed to 
unfortunately get much, most of the country in over the last two years. We need to unwind this testing sort of uh, um, sort of uh, planning and living one's life around testing. Without it, we're going to be sort of stuck in the same cycle. So you know, it's really time for people to be living, to uh, you know, to make the decisions they want regarding vaccination, um, to enjoy the fact that many people have natural immunity. All right, we'll have more on the latest COVID wave and the political fallout with American Conservative Union Chairman Matt Schlapp when we return. First, I want to talk to you about your digital privacy. Digital companies out there guarantee your privacy, but we know it's just not true. So I want to introduce you to a new privacy and cybersecurity application called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure uses proprietary encryption and is offering absolutely private instant messaging and email. All communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. We know that people, if they want, can read your email or messages or even bank information when you do bank transfers. Constantly having your private information, pictures, chat, and email mind is not something you want. All right, you are the product. Let's put an end to that. Secure never uses open source technology, never mines your data, and never asks for your phone number. You can easily communicate with both secure user and non-secure users by using the chat and the features that it enables for you. Secure allows you to communicate privately without fear of spying on your internet activities. All right, it costs only $5 for the messenger and only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with Matt Schlapp. Stay with us. President Biden's mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic, among other things, has caused his approval rating among the American people to plummet through 2021. The president enters the new year at a major deficit in a hypothetical 2024 matchup with former President Donald Trump. According to the Real Clear Politics polling average, Biden trails a former president by nearly five points. Yikes. Well, actually, great thing for America, of course. Joining me now is the chairman of the American Conservative Union, Mr. Matt Schlapp. Matt. Happy New Year, my man. Same to you, Buck. So the longer this thing drags out, meaning the Biden presidency, the worse it seems to get for President Biden. I'm, I'm sensing that they don't have any, uh, any big plan here to turn things around other than to scream about the insurrection. Yeah, you know what's crazy is that the Democratic Party has only succeeded nationwide in modern times when they could really appeal to the middle. They would talk about how the meanness or extremism of the Republican Party uh, wasn't a good fit for America, and they were there to kind of help the little guy. But now that the Democratic Party under Joe Biden has embraced this kind of totalitarianism of we will tell you when you will get a vaccine, we will tell you how you can travel and what you have to wear on your face, we will tell you when your kids will go to school and when they will. It is not safe to go to school. We will arbitrarily decide how many days of quarantining you must have, and we will have local government officials and state government officials follow up with you. Um, it, it, it's just, it's a Democratic Party that we've never seen before, and it's just simply not going to work in America, thank God. So looking at this from the other side of the chessboard, so to speak, Matt, what, what is the Biden team plan as you see it, let's just say going into the first two quarters here of 2022, they're, we're in a midterm election year now, so they know that the consequences of 
a disastrous first year could actually be felt at the polls, and that means power, which the Democrats really care about. So what are you expecting? I mean, what, what, what's in the, the, the Biden regime playbook? So as a former White House staffer and a former congressional staffer, this is kind of like the inside baseball that a lot of Americans, thank God, don't have to focus on. But these two branches of government actually hate each other. And so a lot of Republicans were had animosity towards Donald Trump. First of all, they didn't like things about Donald Trump. But the other thing is they just hated the idea of this very strong executive uh, because uh, it's very hard for one party to dominate at the polls in both the congressional sense and a presidential sense. So that after 1-6, you had a lot of Republicans like Liz Cheney saying, finally, Donald Trump is gone. We've got Joe Biden in the White House. We'll then do great in that first midterm, which is next year. We'll get our majorities back, and then we'll have a lot of political power. And so this is the strange thing that goes on. So Joe Biden, believe it or not, is not sitting in the White House all worried about losing these congressional majorities. They know they're going to lose the House. They're probably pretty uh, worried that they're also going to lose the Senate. There's downsides for a president when that happens. But then they get to go to the country and say, you you need me in this White House. I, I will protect you from the radicalism of this conservative Republican Party. So it's a strange thing that goes on between the branches of government. I think a lot of people in the Biden White House have kind of you know digested this idea that they are going to get their butts handed to them. The Democratic Party is. Uh, next cycle. What they're more worried about is how do they resurrect Joe Biden when he can't talk and he can't physically travel that much? He can't do much to get himself out of this pit that he's in. I think that's their bigger problem. How does the January 6th insurrection talk, we know this is the anniversary of what they're going to treat like a Pearl Harbor type level event for America, uh, which you know, we could have whole conversations, and we will, I'm sure, about how this is completely outrageous based on what was actually done, which was bad, and, and people have opposed it all along, but it's not 9-11, it's not Pearl Harbor, it's not the Civil War, and they make these kinds of comparisons. But does that move the needle? I mean, that kind of, of propaganda about January 6th, does that move the needle and, and create any real political momentum for the Democrats, or is that just preaching to the choir? I think what it shows, at least from my knothole, is they don't have a lot they can talk about. They can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about inflation. They can't talk about their $1.9 trillion emergency COVID plan, which they uh, passed through Congress. Joe Biden signed and apparently didn't buy a couple of tests or anything with the money. God only knows where that where $2 trillion went there. So they don't have a lot they can talk about. They can't talk about what's going on overseas. So I think they're going to resort to this idea that Parents are domestic terrorists when they try to take on CRT or the war on gender, that uh, anybody who's a Republican or a conservative or a MAGA hat wearing guy, um, you are an insurrectionist. Um, and I think the problem with that, Buck, is I know, as you said, we can go into this for a long time. I have such strong opinions about what happened on January 6th. Most of my opinions are, I still can't believe that the Democrats think that the American people didn't see what happened throughout that long summer of Black Lives Matter and Antifa violence with dead cops, dead kids on our streets, our major cities, our murder zones, carjacking zones. People are fleeing these cities, all run by socialists, all run by this mentality of Black Lives Matter and defund the cops. It looks like New York City at least has elected a mayor that has a little more common sense, thank God uh, for that, and I hope that happens. But you know, the, the, how do you how do you look at how do you square with what they did to this country with all the death, all the murders, all the breakdown in these big cities, 
yet they want to talk about 1-6. And to me, that is just astonishing, especially in light of the fact that it's now almost $500 million of money that was put through nonprofits in a way to try to have a lot of illegal voting in this country. And uh, I think, look, I think like everything, it, these are things you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. And I think for more than half this country, which is why Trump is doing so well in these polls, they're on to them. Matt, the Washington Post is reporting that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is expected to step down after the 2022 midterm elections. There's a lot of talk we could have again about just the Pelosi legacy. But given that this is what the Post is reporting, I think we can assume it's likely to be the case, right? What does this mean about the way the Democrats, I mean, who's going to be running their party? It feels like Biden's not in charge. If Pelosi, let's hope, is going to be in the minority come next year, isn't actually calling the shots, who is? Well, this is what's interesting. It's kind of the Kamala Harris ideology. How did they ever end up with Kamala Harris, a woman who is toxic in politics, even Democrats don't like her. How does she wind up as being the vice president of the United States? Well, it's identity politics in the boxes you can check. So Nancy Pelosi, obviously the first woman speaker, she she lost the speakership and came back, which I give her great political credit for. Um, and now the question is who replaces her? And they'll have to go through, it won't be who's the best candidate to run the caucus and run the House of Representatives. It'll be who pleases the biggest and most important constituencies within the Democratic Party. It's just, they are hopelessly lost in that world. So my guess is it'll be a person of color that will be the next Speaker of the House. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm glad in America that can happen, but that's not the way you get a job. You get a job by being the very best candidate to do that job. And I think for a lot of people in the conference who don't check a particular box, I think it's very frustrating that their careers really will never go anywhere. Schlapp, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you in Orlando, Buck. See you in a bit. The New York Times editorial declared that every day is January 6th now. It's a window into the days ahead as Democrats milk the Capitol riot for everything it's worth. When we come back, we'll talk to Western correspondent for the Federalist, Tristan Justice, about just what to expect. Stay right there. Democrats are preparing to squeeze every bit of political juice they can out of the anniversary of the January 6th riot. The White House has announced that President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will deliver remarks this Thursday to mark the anniversary, while other Democratic lawmakers prepare a series of events to reflect on the day. That was just Democrats think again this weekend. Fake Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney, I mean, she's technically a Republican, but come on, joined George Stephanopoulos praising the January 6th committee as Believe it or not, nonpartisan. Watch this. I think that the way that, that the select committee is working is nonpartisan. Uh, it, it is very much uh, one that brings together a group of us who have very different policy views, um, but who come together when uh, the issues have to do with the defense of the Constitution. But as Republicans, we have a particular duty to reject um, insurrection, to reject what happened on January 6th, and to make sure that Donald Trump uh, is not our nominee and that he's never anywhere close to uh, the reins of power ever again. A lot of wildlife in Wyoming. Apparently, you can add rhinos to the list. Joining me now is Tristan Justice, a correspondent with The Federalist. Tristan, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, let's just start with this. Expectations for Insurrection Week. You know, there's Shark Week on TV. At CNN, this is going to be Insurrection Week. 
What should folks, not that they should be watching CNN, but be prepared for CNN to be saying, at least, as part of the Democrat narrative? Well, it's become like a new national holiday for for national Democrats. I mean, uh, look, for one thing, it's hard to call the, the January 6th panel a nonpartisan panel when every person on the panel was appointed by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who uh, herself kicked off uh, actual Republican appointees. Um, no, I mean, look, nothing is exposed how performative uh, the outrage for January 6th has been, like, like the committee uh, set up by Speaker Pelosi. I mean, we saw none of the same people who are so outraged by January 6th that they're trying to put it up on the same pedestal as 9-11. We saw none of those same people similarly outraged by the months-long insurrection launched by left-wing anarchists in the Capitol and in cities across the country, where dozens died, thousands of livelihoods were destroyed, federal buildings were attacked, and senators were attacked, and yet we didn't have cry sessions in the House floor, we didn't have multiple hearings or a special commission to probe the violence uh, by the same people who are now vilifying January 6th as some type of worst attack on American democracy. So there are already lawmakers who are telling, Democrats of course, although Republicans, some of them as we've seen are pretty awful on this too, who are saying that really the problem is they worry that January 6th could happen anytime. Here's Benny Thompson saying just that. I committed to it, the Capitol. Uh, we saw uh, all those points and some others that's not in that video uh, that really causes us significant concern that unless we get it right, uh, given the attitude of what's occurring in this country now, uh, it could happen again. Uh, when I see people legitimizing, uh, storming the Capitol and the activities around it, I'm very concerned. Uh, I'm concerned to the point that sometimes people feel they can break the law if they are dissatisfied. Oh, some people think they can break the law if they're dissatisfied. Fascinating for a Democrat to say that, considering that the year 2020 was marked with dozens, if not hundreds of riots, billions of dollars of damage, dozens of deaths from Biden voters who were upset about things. You're absolutely right. And the January 6th panel is just a de desperate attempt for Democrats in a hostile election year to try to vilify Republicans as their uh, political enemies of the state who are complicit in political violence. And it, it, the irony here is it comes, like you said, after we had a months long sustained insurrection on uh, cities across the country that resulted in uh, some of the worst damage from political violence in US history. And yet Democrats are claiming January 6th was the worst day in American democracy. Um, no, I mean, it's a desperate effort for Democrats to cling to. It's a desperate narrative they're clinging to this year. And it's no coincidence that's happening during an election year that they're favored to lose narrow thin majorities in the House and Senate. We also have the journos who, as we know, claim to be the firefighters of our democracy or, or some such nonsense like that, going around talking about how they're still coping with the, remember, just covering the events of January 6th is something that they claim can give them PTSD, watch. To a certain extent, there are definitely still reactions that I feel, and I go to the Capitol on an almost daily basis. And every time that I go to the Capitol, I think about that experience that I had on January 6th. And not only that I had, but that my colleagues had, my fellow reporters, lawmakers, Capitol Police, just staffers. And it can be difficult sometimes to come to terms with that. And as time goes on, it gets a bit easier to move forward from it. I mean, journalists weren't attacked that day. It's pretty remarkable the amount of, oh my gosh, watch me weep over this we're getting from people that supposedly 
cover wars and go all over the world trying to bring the truth to the American people. And here they are saying, oh, but January 6th is something we still have to struggle to get beyond psycho you know, emotionally, psychologically. Yeah, I mean, again, I would like to know how many journalists at CNN had on who were covering the riots in Minneapolis and the riots in D.C. and the riots in Portland and all through all through 2020. You know, I can't speak to the personal experiences that she had on that day. Maybe she was in a really uncomfortable situation and is something I mean, I have not seen that interview. But I think it just goes to show the double standards of what the media tends to highlight and what they don't highlight. And so, again, I would like to know how many journalists in journalists oftentimes can't necessarily reveal their identities when they're a crowd of hostile rioters, or they will be attacked. I've covered riots here in Denver. Um, I I did not feel safe telling some people who I uh, worked for. I was just there as an observer and then wrote about it after. But I mean, there are very dangerous situations in these episodes of explosive political turmoil uh, across the country, and, and the media silence on that has uh, absolutely been deafening. A big point of all this, of course, is supposed to be the uh, putting of blame for the riot on Donald Trump's shoulders from when he was president, at least in, in some level and in, in some ways to prevent him from running for president again or to stop him from winning should he run. Here's Representative Jennings saying Trump didn't act fast enough. I think the, the reckoning on this will come in 2024 uh, if he seeks the nomination uh, for the presidency again. I mean, look, I, look, I voted for him twice. I'm quite pleased with most of the policy outcomes of the Trump administration. But what's become clear is that he violated his oath of office. And I think we already knew a lot of this. He did not act on that day to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. It is in his oath of office. And so as a party, Jim, what we're going to end up having to reckon with here is can you return someone to the White House? Will you support someone going back to the White House who, in a moment of crisis, chose to violate their oath of office? He's actually not a member of Congress. He's just a CNN contributor now. But, uh, yeah, it's all about getting Trump, isn't it? I, I felt like I was listening to Liz Cheney for a moment. I, I mean, I don't know what people are talking about when they say Donald Trump didn't act uh, at all on January 6th. He acted the same day. Uh, Liz Cheney made up a timeline in a House hearing last month saying Donald Trump waited 187 minutes to say anything. Uh, Donald Trump put out a, a tweet within 25 minutes of the first Capitol building breached, uh, demanding protesters remain peaceful and calm. Uh, Donald Trump acted the same day. He put out videos. He was putting out statements, um, which were then suppressed by our big tech elites who want to claim that Donald Trump didn't do anything. And so, uh, again, people who are just exploiting this, this, this capital attack are just making up their own timelines, and it's, it's hurting our country. Absolutely. Good to see you, Tristan. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. New York City brought in the new year with the swearing in of a new mayor. So will Eric Adams represent a much-needed course correction for the Big Apple? New York City Council member Joe Borelli of Staten Island stops by next to give his thoughts. Stick around. It's a brand new day for the Big Apple. Former Mayor Bill de Blasio's reign of error is at an end, finally. Mayor Eric Adams, who took office on Saturday, has offered encouraging signs, somewhat, of how he'll turn things around. Hopefully he'll restore the city. De Blasio has left Adams with many challenges, which could be formidable for any incoming mayor. So are we going to get a course correction from Comrade de Blasio? Joe Borelli, the New York City Councilman, the sage of Staten Island, joins us now to discuss. Good to see you, sir. You too, Buck. Thank you. All right. Let's start with this. Eric Adams, 
Is he going to be better on COVID than de Blasio? Let me have you react to what he just said about this player. We're going to get through COVID. Let's be clear. We spent $11 trillion on COVID. We can't continue to think that we can spend trillions of dollars. We must learn to live with COVID, adjust, and pivot at the right times. And we're doing that in New York. And I'm extremely optimistic on how the city's going to respond. Yeah, except I'm seeing stuff about booster mandates staying in place. What's going on here, Joe? Right. The, the rhetoric in that clip is 100 percent right. And, and if that guy becomes the guy who governs New York City, then, then, yeah, we're in a great shape. If that guy becomes the guy who, who, who liberates New York City from crushing mandates, makes minor restrictions if they're only absolutely necessary and lets us all go on with our lives. Yeah, th- that person would be a great mayor. I'm just not sure that that's going to be Mayor Eric Adams on vaccine mandates. I think we do have a, a bit to be optimistic about on crime. Uh, and on you know public safety more broadly in, in the city with Adams, but on mandates, I, I'm not seeing him pull back on de Blasio. It's kind of ironic, Buck, right? You have de Blasio driving the city into a crime-ridden slum, uh, and Adams realizing that and running a, a campaign basically saying he'll turn that around, and he's doing that. Why can't he see the, the same crisis that's occurring as a result of government's own mandates and make a similar course correction? I guess that's the question. Yes, it seems to me that we would hope he would reject all the disastrous decisions of his predecessor, Mayor Bill de Blasio, former mayor and the former worst mayor in the country. Here's Eric Adams saying COVID is formidable, but he's saying we're not going to shut down the city. I want to push on that a little bit more here, uh, Joe, but let's play it. We can't shut down our city again. We can't allow the city to go further into economic uh, despair. And I'm going to put in place a comprehensive plan that we're rolling out today. It was created with extensive input from public health leaders all over the city, the state and federal government to come up with smart decisions. I led with one thought in mind. We're going to follow the science. I mean, that does not make me feel better because follow the science has got us to this point where New York City is an abject failure when it comes to stopping the spread. We had vaccine passports go into effect in the August, September timeframe. Did not stop. We have an all time high for cases here. So what what are we supposed to make of this? And and also, are are you hearing from some of your Democratic colleagues and city council, Joe, uh, astonishment that all the crap they've put us through with these COVID fighting decisions didn't work? Are they surprised? What's the attitude? Speaking of the attitude, I think it's a great question. Uh, I've noticed a lot more of of the Democrats, uh, especially the ones that I work with, almost ready to give up. Uh, almost ready to just accept the inevitability that no matter how many boosters they get, they're probably going to come down with COVID, especially in this Omicron wave. Uh, and I think a lot of the, uh, the, the, the ideas are moving past uh, solely looking at mandates going forward. Again, Eric Adams, you heard in these clips, is saying the right things. We want New York to be reopened. But I'll give you a great example. The European Union, uh, which accounts for a large chunk of our tourists uh, in New York City and a large t- a chunk of our tourist dollars, you know, it, it's it's wealthy people coming from France and Germany uh, to spend a week in New York. It's not it's not people who don't have money. So a big chunk of this money is being prevented now because the EU doesn't allow 
people under the age of 12 to be vaccinated. Now those kids can't come to New York because they can't go to a Broadway show. They can't even go to a restaurant in New York City. So this is an example. You can't say we want to reopen New York and keep mandates like this. Same thing with the private sector employer mandates. You have people that work in insurance companies or on Wall Street. If someone is working at, at Goldman Sachs, and they're an earner, they're not getting fired from Goldman Sachs. They're just being told to work from home in their large house in Connecticut. And again, those are people who just aren't populating the office buildings in Midtown. And those are people not buying $20 salads from the first floor of the building. Those are people not going out to lunch. They're not going to newsstands. They're not going to coffee shops. They're not getting their shoes shined. Uh, so it, it really is a trickle down problem coming from the mandates at the top and ending up with a guy who can't even find enough people to, to shine shoes. Joe, the crime situation in New York, not only has it gotten a lot worse, homicides up considerably, but a lot of people look at New York City as an indicator for the rest of the country, right? Because it's the biggest city, you've got the largest data set to work with. And so as goes New York, a lot of people figure that's what's gonna happen elsewhere as Democrats either wake up or don't to the realities of the defund the police madness what have we really seen so far? I know it, we're, we're days into this, literally a couple of days into Eric Adams' term, but what do you expect him to do that'll actually make a meaningful difference on crime? Well, for, for the first part, uh, he is uh, starting re restarting our anti-crime plainclothes police units. I mean, this is something that's mission critical. These are tough cops, men and women who go after bad people and rip guns out of their waistbands or their hands. These are the, the, the toughest cops we have in, in, in the NYPD to some degree. Uh, and in another world, we would have been buying them beers when they go and wrestle firearms out of people who would use it to kill others. Uh, it, under Bill de Blasio, we actually villainized them. So he's pushing back on that. He's also pushing back on Rikers Island. Rikers Island is actually one of the most dangerous places in New York City, unsurprisingly. But the stabbings and slashings that are happening on inmates and correction officers alike are the result of the de Blasio administration's policy of not having solitary confinement or punitive segregation, as they, as they call it. Uh, Adam said on day one, he's reinstituting that. And this is a really good development if, if you want to curb those two things in our jails. And he got a lot of flack uh, from the far left in New York City. And, and by far left, I mean about 35 out of 51 council members uh, who, who vote, uh, who wrote a very chastising letter saying that he wasn't woke enough or, or something uh, because he doesn't want inmates and guards to get sl uh, slashed. Eric Adams is also saying he's going to review in the city uh, city legislature, the non-citizens voting bill for city uh, office this is what he said. We're going to look at the bill. Uh, I think it's a uh, one part of the bill I'm concerned about the 30 day part. If someone is in the city for 30 days, they have the right to vote. That's problematic for me. Okay, so is it just the 30 days? Is it the whole bill? Is it going to stand? What's going on here, Joe? Well, the, the bill is 100% illegal. Um, some states around the country, I know Alabama, I think, I think Florida, uh, are working on uh, passing legislation in their state houses barring non-citizen voting. It turns out that New York has actually had uh, a ban on non-citizen voting for about uh, 10, 20, 30 years. So we have a state constitutional provision that, that is somewhat vague, but state election law is crystal clear. The reason why the city was able to do this to 30 days is because a, a specific provision of election law allows that for citizens. 
in the beginning part of that same statute that that he basically cited on television, it requires citizenship for all voting in all municipalities from from the state itself uh, to cities, to towns, to villages. It requires citizenship. So he's going to find out that this is illegal, uh, just like the city council is going to have to find out, just like Bill de Blasio had actually long said himself that this is something done uh, absent a legal footing. Joe, happy new year. Good to see you. Too happy New Year. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez came under fire this past week for boozing it up maskless down in the Sunshine State. I was down there too, not far away. She didn't ask me to do any shots with her. It's kind of sad. The only thing more interesting than her blatant hypocrisy is her weird response to criticism about this. We'll have that story and more coming up in quick hits. Dr. Fauci has a Freudian slip during a recent interview, and AOC has a strange explanation for why she's being criticized by the right. A bizarre one, in fact. Those stories in quick hits, let's get to it. Fauci is the worst. I know I say that a lot, but I'd like to remind you of it. He's the absolute worst, and he should have been fired a long time ago. He's been a disaster for this country. He's wrong all the time. He's a political hack. He's a lib. He's a Democrat. He doesn't care about the fact that he's ruining lives with his pointless edicts. This is who he is. He's the worst. Um, so at some level, you might think maybe this guy admires the Chinese Communist Party, where they have people like Fauci in all aspects of life who just tell you what to do, ruin your life, give you bad advice, give you bad mandates, whatever it may be, and there's no consequences for it. Fauci probably admires those aspects of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and he also, well, almost said a little too much, it seems, when he was talking about the collaboration between U.S. scientists and the Chinese, and when he was defending the NIH when he did this, watch. Because uh, COVID-1 clearly originated in China, and we were fortunate to escape a major pandemic. So we really had to learn a lot more about the viruses that were there, about whether or not people were getting infected with bad viruses. So in a very minor collaboration as part of a subcontract of a grant, we had a collaboration with some Chinese, com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. And, and what he conflated that is that therefore we were involved in creating the virus, which is the most ridiculous, majestic leap I've ever heard of. Some Chinese scientists, right. Communists, Chinese Communist Party. AOC was down in Miami, I was down in Miami. Maybe she wanted to hang out with the Buckster. Maybe she wanted a little bit of a uh, little bit of buck time. You know, you never know. You know, a little cross party aisle stuff. Drink some shots, tequila together, hang out a little bit. You know, as one does. But uh, she got criticized because here she is fleeing New York, where she wants you know two year olds masked and everyone to get shots and all the mandate stuff. Uh, but then she goes down to Florida, where they have none of that. I, th I thought it's too scary for the libs to go to Florida. Apparently not. Here she was tweeting on December thirty first in response to some of that criticism of her hypocrisy, it's starting to get old, ignoring the very obvious, strange, and deranged sexual frustrations that underpin the Republican fixation on me, women, and LGBTQ plus people in general. These people clearly need therapy, won't do it, and use politics as their outlet instead. It's really weird. I mean, what's really weird is her thinking that there's a sexual frustration fixation on her. That leads to people to criticize hypocrisy when it comes to COVID and travel? I mean, is this now, is the new standard you just be like, oh, you disagree with me? You must be sexually frustrated by me. 
That's quite a, quite a move to pull, quite a belief to have, but seems she does. Meanwhile, on the other side of things, you've got Ron DeSantis, who continues to be attacked by the left all the time for creating a fortress of sanity in the state of Florida. He got criticized for being on vacation recently. He wasn't really on vacation. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, on AOC vacationing in Florida, he's like, look, this is what the libs do. They escape lockdowns here and they complain about Florida not being locked down. Watch. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, I think if, if you if I had a dollar for every lockdown politician who decided to escape to Florida over the last two years, I'd be a pretty doggone wealthy man. Let me tell you. I mean, Congress people, mayors, governors. Yep. I like Governor DeSantis also came under criticism from some in the media for being MIA, AOC among them. AOC is a member of Congress, of course, tweeting out, he's, you know, gone, where is he? COVID's rising in Florida. Well, he was actually tending to his wife who has cancer and is being treated for breast cancer. We think that that's a really important thing, so maybe they should get their facts straight uh, before attacking him. But there's always a double standard, and DeSantis knows. Like, what about Biden? Where was he when the surge was happening? He was on vacation. Watch. hysteria regarding your so-called vacation this past week in your MIA. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should have been at the beach in Delaware, right? And then they would have been really happy with that. Um, you know, it was, I mean, you look, we actually put out the schedule, and I think these people didn't know that. They think because you're not doing a big press conference, you're not doing So, you know, uh, Friday we were, uh, Kevin, Joe, and I all had discussions about, you know, doing what we're doing. Of course, I was at the, uh, down in Miami later, to Thursday in the office working on this and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.